Hello, Rosetta family. Uh, we're back with Pastor Dan, and by the time this airs, we have, will have recently concluded our series through Colossians chapter 1. Mm-hmm. And Dan, as we look back, we can kind of break it up into five or six you know, key points. Yeah. Um, we talked about thankful for the church, right? That was yeah. the first topic, the verses 1 through 8. Uh, then Paul's prayer for the church, mm-hmm. two parts. Um, and then more recently, we, we covered the doctrines of the supremacy of Christ or the preeminence of Christ. Uh, and then how through um, God's plan, you know, can be reconciled to God. Yeah, yeah. And then Paul's philosophy of ministry. Yeah. And I wanted to revisit the question on the supremacy of Christ because, as you mentioned in your message, uh, that is a doctrine or a teaching that has really become... Uh, twisted or misunderstood. Mm-hmm. So I guess for me, the first question that comes to mind is, is why do you think that is? Why are, why are there so many people that get this wrong? Yeah. Yeah. So the first issue um, is um, how we view scripture. Do we view it as um, a book that was written in English, that the English words need to be treated as exactly literal or do we understand that the English is a translation from uh, the Koine Greek and and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and that those words back then that the way the language worked back then it was a lot more expansive um, and had different uh, ideologies behind it and the second aspect of that same point is understanding that we live in a Western mindset and so understanding an Eastern mindset or a, a, a Middle Eastern mindset on how they would even, even to this day, how they would treat the word firstborn, for instance, in verse 15, that word firstborn would mean something very different to a, to a typical family that's not religious at all in Israel than it would to your guy in Topeka, Kansas. Uh, it, it means something completely different. And why is that? It's because of the culture. And so that's why it's important when we view Scripture, we remember it wasn't written in English originally. And number two, it was written to a people that would have understood it in their context. And so the number one issue that we run into when people get these things wrong is they don't bring themselves back to biblical times. Instead, what they do is they bring the Bible into now times and say, what does firstborn mean now? That's how I'm going to define this verse. And I'll take it as literally as possible. Um, Meanwhile, the Bible was never meant to be handled in that way. The Bible was written to a specific people at a specific time. And while the message of the word is infinite and and is for all time and for all people, um, the context is important for understanding that infinite message. And that's where people usually get messed up very bad. Mm-hmm. And, and where people go wrong is that they will say that Christ was created mm-hmm. or that he is lesser than God in some mm-hmm. way. So can you kind of speak to the idea of the, the Trinity, Jesus being fully man, but also fully God and, and that type of thing? Yeah. And so um, what we'll run into here, too, is uh, what's called the analogy of Scripture. Um and that is the rule that Scripture is the best interpreter of Scripture. So as you learn and grow in your Christian walk, you'll come across verses that say certain things, and, and you'll, it'll, it'll shock you, and you'll be like, wait, 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 how, how does that work, right? Uh, Christ is the firstborn of all creation. And so what you have to do then is take that verse 
and and filter it through the rest of Scripture and say, well, what else does Scripture say? And so then you go to the doctrine of the Trinity or, or the deity of Christ. And Christ multiple times says the Father and I are one. Like I, I, I whenever he is speaking to uh, his people, he says, before Abraham was, I am. That was, I think, John eight fifty eight. Uh, and when he says that, he's not just claiming this eternal existence, but he actually says the personal name of God in that. And there, I think there's there's a handful of times throughout John where he does it, and those are like kind of the mountain peak moments where he says, I am the light of the world, and he's saying Yahweh in that, the personal name of God. So he's not only claiming this infinitude, but he's claiming deity. And so um, that's the first issue is that if you come to this text and you say Jesus was created, then you're calling Jesus a liar because Jesus says he was not created. And so this text can't mean that Jesus was created. So then if I understand that, then I have to look at the text in a different light and say, then what does it mean? And that's where I pull myself back into the context. And so that's the biggest issue, again, is that people look at this and they'll say the firstborn of all creation, thus he must have been created. He's little g God, etc. And the rest of scripture disagrees with you. And not only that, the person that you're claiming to believe in disagrees with you. Sure. So just as we, we talk about that idea of, you know, Jesus being the God man, fully God, but fully human, at least in my mind, there's some, some questions that come up because we talk about, like you and I talked earlier, when Jesus is praying in the garden, um, before the crucifixion, he says, mm-hmm. "Not your wi- not my will, God, but but yours be done." Yeah. So, in that case, are is Jesus' will and God the Father's will separate? Yet, yet they are one. Or can you kind of just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. And so that's again where we have to have this understanding of God uh, in full that helps us to interpret scriptures like that. So, whenever Jesus is saying, "Not my will, but yours be done." Is he creating these two separate entities of will? Um, Or is he trying to give us an example? And so what we have to understand is that Jesus is fully God. Jesus was there in creation. Jesus was there before creation. And so if we understand this to be true, we also have to understand that God's will is is unanimous. There's never a dissenting member of the Trinity (laughs) where, where Jesus is like, uh, with an unhappy heart, like obligatory, just, okay, I will do this, I guess, because you said so, Father. That never happens. That has never happened. Um, it was his joy to go to the cross. It was his joy to submit to God the Father. And this is what, what, what part of what creates unity within the Trinity, is the idea that they are all on the same page. And so the plan for Jesus to go to the cross was there before creation. It was, it was, it was there. They, they're the ones that came up with it. Why? Because they, they created reality. They created time and space and they will end it when they see so to be fit. And so in light of all of that, how do I look at a verse that says, not my will, but your will be done? Well, I must look at that in two ways. Number one, I must look at it and say, Jesus is giving me an example of submitting to God's will. And number two, Jesus is showing us um, this, uh, how do I want to say this, this depiction um, of his God manness in that moment. Um, that while he is fully God, he is also fully man. And so there is still this wrestling that happens. There is still this wrestling that happens. And you see that whenever he's sweating drops of blood. I don't know the last time you said notice and to the point that you sweat blood. 
but I haven't done that yet. I cave in before that. Um, and so Jesus was tempted in every way that we were, but to the uttermost, <laughs> like the, to the to the most excruciating way. And so in a similar way, he is showing us this God manness in that moment that, again, perfectly personifies the deity of Christ and how he is sufficient to save us because he was both fully God and fully man. Okay. Well, and as we read in, in that passage in Colossians 1, it talks about, for by Jesus all things were created. Um, and then it goes on, uh, verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn uh, from the dead, and everything he might be preeminent. Okay, so in that message you talked about what is a, a if you take a tiger and it doesn't have a head, what is it? Dead. It, it's dead. Yeah. <laughs> or if you you put a head from a different animal on that tiger, you know, what is it? So so the question is, what does it mean practically um, affecting my day-to-day life yeah. for Jesus to be the head? Yeah. Yeah. And so um, <clears throat> the 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 scriptures would use a couple of different terms, but I'll, I'll use, I'll just use one, I think. Um, and that would be in Ephesians where uh, Paul speaks about living a spirit-filled life. He says, don't get drunk, don't get drunk, uh, but be spirit controlled. And what does it mean to be spirit controlled? Well, when we go through Colossians later, we'll understand it means to be filled with God's word. So I live a spirit controlled life when my mind and my life are so inundated. They're so just to the max filled with scripture that I live, breathe and die scripture. The words that I say are scripture. uh, The things that I think are scripture. And why is that beautiful? Why is that perfect? Because that is the only pure lens through which to speak, through which to see, and through which to act. That's the only pure lens. Anything else is tainted at the very least, if not just completely wrong. And so for Christ to be the head of the church, and, and you would say, and I guess in your question, the head of your life on a day-to-day practical basis, what that means is that you are submitting to God's will at all times. You begin the day by seeking his will and you end the day by making sure that you're finishing strong in his will and that means that you are always um, being controlled by the holy spirit you're filled with the knowledge of god and all spiritual wisdom and understanding again we're going back to paul's prayer for the church he's praying that they would be that that they would act like christ is the head and again like i said in my in, in the sermon that my hand never slaps me in the face without me telling it to do so (laughs) that's not an option in the same way you and I are the body of Christ and that's why Paul says in Galatians 2.20 it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me so there's always these two parallel truths where it is the power of Christ and Christ working in my life that gives me all the good in my life but it is it is my determination and my discipline and my and my steadfastness and stewardship of that gift that enables me to do more with the gift that God has given me, which is why you get the parable of the stewards where some did a lot of good with it and some did not so good with it. They all were given a stewardship and the same thing you and I, we're all given grace by God and talents and, and, and responsibilities. And I act like Christ is my head when I actually treat those like they are the most important thing. And I discipline myself to godliness. I kill the sin in my life. And I say, I will be a good steward of the life and the ministry God has given me to my family, to my friends, and to my church. Okay. 
So as you look back on those verses in Colossians 1, 5 through 9, 15 through 19, and just this idea of the supremacy of Christ, the preeminence of Christ, any other closing thoughts or comments that you'd like to leave our church family with? Yeah, I think that uh, one great thing is to notice uh, the inconsistency of the idea that Christ was a created being, because if you just read the next verse, it doesn't work, right? So he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So if you stop there and take that out of context, you say, see, he is he's made. But if you read the next verse, it says, for by him, all things were created. Okay, so wait a second. Did he create himself? Did, like, how, how does that work? And so, the, the, again, the idea being that most false doctrines are very easy to understand that they are wrong because they're inconsistent. They can't continue. Um, that's, that's the issue is that anything that's not true uh, will prove itself to not be true as you continue to test it. Some are a little more sneaky and a little more hidden and take more work, but uh, that one is very easy. You just read the next verse. Um now, the next thing I think I would leave us with uh, is is twofold. Uh, number one, being the firstborn from the dead in verse 18, the middle of verse 18. And that's so important for us. And I said it in the sermon, but the idea being that Jesus wasn't the first person resurrected from the dead. Far from it, actually. Jesus even resurrected people from the dead. <laughs> um, and, but the, the idea, the difference is that his resurrection was forever. Lazarus came back to life. He's going to die again. <laughs> yeah. 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 Lazarus comes back to life. <gasps> Praise the Lord. Wait. <laughs> I got to yep. do that again? You got to be kidding me. And that's why Jesus said, this is for the glory of God. It's not for Lazarus' enjoyment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Lazarus went from being in paradise to, <laughs> to having to live life again. And so he's the firstborn from the dead because he is the only one that never <clears throat> had to die again. And he never will die again. Because he defeated death. But not only that, he then also was resurrected with a glorified body. And then if you if you continue in the rest of scripture, you'll see that you and I will also be given glorified bodies one day. Whenever this all comes to an end, Christ will end everything, have, create a new heaven, a new earth, and you and I will get glorified bodies just like Christ. We will be co-heirs with Christ. We will be living in this perfect paradise with this perfect resurrected body. And if there's not a better joy to hold on to than that, I don't know what it is. That the supreme Christ, the preeminent one, the most powerful one that owns everything and is going to take everything back, will take you back and give you a perfect body. No backaches, no bills to pay, no, no, no hardships, no sin. You'll never be tempted again. Are you kidding me? This is good news. And so we should rest in the fact that Christ is supreme, even in the fact that one day you and I will have a finished salvation. And we need to rest in that today. I like it. Thank you for your thoughts and comments. Yes, sir.